Before we dive on into football, we want to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Southern Cigar Co. Southern Cigar Co. is a premium cigar subscription service founded with the goal of connecting cigar lovers around the world with nothing but the best smokes. Heading into a cigar shop and choosing from a vast selection can be a daunting task. Southern Cigar Co. has developed a service that takes away the worry and the hassle while providing you with premium cigars every single month. For under $40 per month and free shipping within the United States, Southern Cigar Co. will ship four of their finest cigars right to your door, with the first box of every subscription including a triple torch lighter, a double guillotine cutter, a Boveda humidity pack, and an informational card displaying everything you need to know about your newest cigars. There's no better pairing to Sunday football and your favorite bottle of beer or glass of scotch than one of Southern Cigar Co.'s top-of-the-line smokes. The world's best cigar subscription would make the perfect gift for the cigar lover in your life. Head to southerncigarco.com and enter promo code PUTB for 10% off your first order. Again, that's southerncigarco.com and enter promo code PUTB for 10% off your first order. And now, on to the football. Bonjour, hello, and happy Saturday, everybody. Welcome to the Pick at the Blitz podcast, the show where Guy and his former high school history teacher talk a lot about football and very little about history. I'm Justin Heyer, here with Nick Bellotto, and today we've got a very special episode for you all. We've got a special guest on the show today, Mr. Brent Grablichoff, personal kicking coach of Miami Dolphins all-pro kicker Jason Sanders and founder and coach at Kicking World, one of the world's largest professional football kicking training organizations in over 20 states in the United States. They go all over and train some of the nation's best kickers. Brent, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to talk about Jason and some Finns football here. Absolutely. So, Brent, I think we're just going to jump right in and start off. I would love to know, you know, how did you get into the kicking game. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, about kicking world, and of course, how you met Jason? Sure. Uh, so I played division three football back in New Jersey, where I'm originally from. We're, we're now based out of Austin, Texas uh, with kicking world. And this is the 14th camp season, uh, 2021. And um, I, I, Moved out to Southern California a few years after uh, living in New Jersey, graduating from Montclair State University in New Jersey just for the weather. I got, I got sick of scraping snow and ice off my car and running out on the tile floors from, the, from a shower in the morning. Something you guys really don't have to deal with in Boca and Miami area. But So that, was, that sort of propelled me to move to Southern California. Um, and I started coaching uh, private lessons uh, while I was a, a volunteer coach at the local high school school where we went 13 and 0 that season I, I really missed the camaraderie uh the the team the bond uh and the pressure of lining up for a kick and I, and I found I was able to replicate that by being a coach and teaching other uh students that are aspiring aspiring to play college and even you know that 
professionally later. So it, I found my calling. Um, and uh, like I said, it was the 14th year. And then while I was living out in Southern California, uh, Jason, uh, I started working with him his junior year of high school. Uh, he, he was about 40 minutes up the road and we, we worked diligently almost every week all the way through. Uh, he made it into college and beyond. So we still obviously work together now, even though I'm in Texas, especially after his big signing, he could afford to get out here <laughs> pretty regularly to work with me. How how uh, how early in your relationship with Jason did you did you recognize uh, that that kind of NFL potential uh, in him? Yes. Uh, so at a high school, I would say his junior year of high school, I knew for sure he was a D1 scholarship level kicker. And then in college, uh, his sophomore year going into his junior year, everything really started to ramp up again. And I safely predicted on his profile on our website where we try to promote uh, our top college kids to the NFL scouts and, and clubs and play, uh, player personnel and special teams coach. I put a quote in there and it's cool when you look back in hindsight to see if it comes true. Uh, his junior year, I was like, you know, definitely uh, NFL level, probably draft worthy uh, kicker just because not just his monster leg where he led FBS his junior and senior year he was either first second or third each year at some point for kickoff touchbacks but the way the ball comes off his foot you know there's only probably 40 or 50 kickers in the world that the ball the ball could jump off with that velocity and that straight end over end flight but there's probably less than 15 that could do it as accurately as him and I was like dang this kid's definitely going to the NFL so, Brett, you mentioned in Jason's junior year of high school, like that's that's sort of when you knew you were able to see that in him. And, you know, you train so many kickers every single year at that. That's such a young age, right? At 16, 17. What separates a guy who you see and say, OK, that guy has D1 potential versus someone who might not? Yeah. So there's a lot of kids that have big legs out there in high school going into college, but a lot of times uh, what makes someone that's just average or slightly above average versus a division one scholarship ready recruit is their ability to replicate the kick the same way I would say eight out of 10 times. So an NFL kicker like Jason, they could probably replicate a 40 yarder down the middle about 19 out of 20 times and practice perfectly. But a college kid, if you could do it, you know, 80% of the time with the, we call them the kicking sticks or the, the ball holder, the tripod, that would be solid. But there's another thing that a lot of people don't look at is the ball flight. So a lot of kids can make, make field goals, right? There's, you know, different camps out there where you might just write down the stats. Okay. He made 17 out of 20 kicks. That looks awesome. But, what was the trajectory like? What was the ball flight? Did it have a spin like in golf, a draw or a fade or a slice, right? So Jason, what really separated him on the fundamental side and the and the metric side of kicking is that his hang time and distance was uh, duplicable where he could reproduce it probably almost every time with, with high division one levels. In fact, his kickoff leg his senior year of high school was as good as over half of uh, FBS. And I believe what really made him from college to an NFL recruit by his junior year really started to understand just his mental makeup that separated him from everyone where Justin and I had an inter interview um, last week with with uh, Finsider and we were talking about where 
his emotions don't really get up, get him, whether he's, he's doing well, he has a bad game, whatever. If you've got a one to 10 scale, Jason's almost always at a five or five and a half. He doesn't go down to a two and he doesn't get so excited. That is an eight. And I think that's what makes him almost to the point of robotic where every kick is the same thing. It lines up. He does the same process and the end result tends to be the same. So I, I want to I wanna kind of follow up on one of those things you were just talking about because obviously professional sports, there's so much of a, uh, a mental aspect to whichever position you're playing, right? But, it, you know, it, the, there are a lot of times when we see kickers who go through slumps in the NFL, it's attributed to the, uh, uh, you know, part of the mental game a little bit more than maybe other positions in, in, in pro football. So what, what kind of coaching strategies do you provide or how do you help any kicker who, that, you're, that you're working with to get through those, those rough patches and keep that, that mentality the same and that kind of that level, like you were saying, on that Jason level where you're even on when you're missing and making them, you're kind of the same uh, on the same level mentality or mentality. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome question. You know, I, I would say it's very similar to like a golf coach where – say Tiger Woods, you know, he was in a mental slump for a while with all sorts of factors around his life and sports and health and whatever. It's the same deal. If you get into a rut where like a baseball batter where you're in a slump, uh, it just takes one hit to break out. And what I do with my kickers, whether it's a kid that's, you know, 11 year old, 11 years old and starting out and he's nervous in his first peewee game trying to make extra points or maybe he's afraid of getting hit or someone that's in college where maybe they they missed two extra points in the last game and now they're on the hot seat and worried that they're gonna get replaced it's always going back to the simple fundamentals so sometimes doing things that are familiar uh for the kicker such as like a certain um routine of drills like okay jason you know we're gonna have you do uh, 20 of this one, 15 of this, and then really focus on this this week. And sometimes it's almost acts as like a distraction. They're so focused on the micro aspects of doing the little, um, the little drills. And then it takes, takes their mind off of, you know, the result and you just focus on the process. And a lot of times that could help people break out of a slump. And plus I have a couple of blog articles I'll write from time to time. And one of them is actually like the top 10 tips to get out of a kicking slump. So if anyone listening here is a kicker, like maybe a dad or mom of a kicker, even a coach, just go on our kicking world blog. You could type in slump tips and, and there's quite a few on there. I love that. Plug the blogs. That's uh, yeah. That, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> so uh, you alluded it to, uh, at the beginning of the of our episode here. Obviously, you know you worked with Jason all the way up to this point, where now he has just signed an extension that has made him one of the top five highest paid kickers ever, right up there with the likes of Legend in uh, in McManus and, and Justin Tucker uh, and and Mason Crosby, right up there in that top five. What is it like for you as someone who's been working with him since such a young age, 15, 16 years old, to have seen him go from that point in his life to now being at the, you know, essentially the top of the world in, in what he does? Oh, it's super exciting. Um, you know, couldn't be more proud for him and everyone involved along the way, you know, whether it's students that got to 
to watch him kick as like a guest coach at our camps or me as his coach for shoot. I think it's over nine years at this point or eight, at least eight years. I'm not sure offhand. Um, and then obviously, you know, his high school coaches, the, the college, you know, I think with New Mexico, other than Brian Erlocker before him, he'll, he's probably the most known um, alum from, from the Lobo. So it's, it's pretty, pretty fulfilling. Now we, you know, of course me as a coach and the people involved along the way, we knew, all along that he had it but really seeing this come to fruition and you know show me the money jerry mcguire mentality it's it's awesome now that everyone else knows he's the real deal right so now he's up there with what tucker and mason crosby i guess are the only two people that are that have an average annual contract value higher than jason is that right yeah he's right up there and i think uh kaimi fairburn's the other one that's up there in that in that top four, okay. yeah, which is, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Pretty to be saying his name with the likes of legends. I'm sure it's Tucker's uh, Tucker Tuck. is a living legend. And you know, when you do, when you do a five-year contract for a kicker, I think that's just insane too. How often do you, do you hear that? You know, that's really yeah. saying that the dolphins are, are bought in on their kicker and they want them for the long term. Who knows? Maybe he becomes, that, you know, workhorse like Adam Vinatieri or Steven Kaskowski, where they're probably the most, well, Mason Crosby too. They've just been around forever, you know, and that would be pretty cool. Hopefully his hair doesn't, his beard doesn't go as gray as uh, Vinatieri, <laughs> but I think Adam, what is, what is he? He's got to be in his late forties or something, right? Or early 46. Yeah, yeah. That's just insane. Right. Yeah. yeah. So but yeah, maybe that's Jason in 15 years from now. Who knows? We'll see. He did start to grow that beard out at the end of the season. Though. That beard <laughs> was there. It was definitely not gray, but the beard, he was starting to rival Fitzmagic there for, for best beard game on the team. Yeah, I, I almost confused him with someone driving through Amish country in Pennsylvania or something. It was pretty wild <laughs> what he was growing it. <laughs> so so to, to, I want to follow up on that that question that Justin just asked. I think it's, it's a great question. Um, or a great like launching point for some other stuff. So there are so many teams in the NFL um, that seem as though they're unwilling to pay their kickers, right? They mm. seem like they're willing, they're willing to kind of just, they don't, I guess maybe they don't see the separation between uh, kicker a and kicker B. Why do you think that's the case? And, and then, you know, how do you value the role of a kicker on, on an NFL team? Cause I mean, even if you look back at this last dolphin season, uh, Sanders was responsible for a couple of game-winning kicks and really keeping uh, Miami in some games that they might not have been, they might they probably shouldn't have been in. Um, mm. So, what do you what do you think about this maybe mentality that might exist that kickers are potentially expendable? Yeah, it, it's almost like insulting for for kickers out <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I I agree with you. I don't I don't know really where it came from, and we see this too, even possibly worse in college. Where, and I, I think I understand in college, it's the surplus uh, deficit concept. Where in college, say we got about 120, just round it, round it uh, for Division One football teams, right? And how many kickers are on a team? Typically one, right? But then you have uh, well, at least one that starts with a quarterback, they're scholarshipping, you know, three or four quarterbacks or three or four running backs with a kicker. They, they only float one scholarship out there every, every few years. And I think the reason is, is just the fact that 
there's only one or two spots for a kicker and punter and they just, they could have their picking. So I think it even starts as early as college where they realize there's so many kickers out there and to only have one on a team, you have to be like ultra exclusive and picky. And and they don't even in college, it's crazy. Like to get a scholarship these days, it's, you got to jump through so many hurdles. They, they do this dangling the carrot concept. And Jason was lucky, fortunate enough to get one at New Mexico. But a lot of the kids I work with are, you know, almost not quite Jason level, but definitely scholarship worthy. And they're having to walk on to schools and prove themselves after two years. And they're like, oh, congratulations. You know, you've already won us six games in the last two years. We'll finally anoint you a scholarship. So I, I don't know, and especially in the NFL. But I think, you know, in the NFL – they really should be paying these guys more. How do you, how do you justify when, when quarterbacks and stuff are getting, I don't don't know exact amounts, but I think in the 15, 20 plus guaranteed, you know, a year annual value. And I could be wrong on that. Like, how are you only getting a fifth of the amount for a kicker when they're winning on average one or two games a year for you and, and keeping you in close games with making those extra points? I don't, I don't get it. In fact, I ponder that all the time maybe there's a study or some I don't know maybe it could even be something about interviewing NFL clubs what their what their philosophy is but I've I've talked about it several times and I just I don't know I think they're missing something there I I feel like if you have like a Justin Tucker or Jason Sanders or on that level you know pay them keep them on even if it goes against your cap a few more million a year that's one less worry why do you want to keep going through free agency and you know rolling the dice so to speak and every few years having this these tryouts I I just don't get it personally yeah and there's definitely some some importance to this this idea that as soon as you cross the 50 you got points right in a game that's so it's so important to score as many points as possible if you can just get past the 50 yard line if you've got like the names you just said Justin Tucker or Sanders or a Mason Crosby or a Vinatieri right if you can guarantee at minimally three points once you cross the 50 yard line that's that's a pretty that's a pretty good advantage in your favor so absolutely yeah it, do, it just doesn't add up to me i'm on the same page with you guys about that i mean it, it seems like logic and common sense but i guess I, I i don't know like what it almost seems cheap in a way like you know penny pinching like oh we're gonna save a million and a half and bring in this and they i think the didn't the Dolphins even do that with, with Denny? Like he was getting, granted he was getting, you know, older in football terms, but he was still firing back snaps. And I think they tried to save, you know, like a little bit off of the the pay to get a rookie. in. And it's like crazy. Like if you have people that are performing, you know, just like Vinatieri, keep them on as long as you can. It's a sure thing, not only on the field, but in the locker room, you know what you're getting. Why do you want to take a chance with signing someone new and having them acclimate into the system and just hoping to God that they perform when it comes down to it, you know? So I, I want to jump off something you just said that you, you mentioned John Denny, who's obviously a Dolphins legend. And, uh, you know, when the Dolphins parted ways with him, only uh, about a year and a half or two later, they end up drafting one of the highest drafted long snappers ever in, in Blake Ferguson at LSU. And obviously they have Matt Hawk there as the punter to round out the trio. So I think what a lot of people maybe don't know or, or don't have insight into, which I'd love for you to provide some here is, you know, the kicker has this job, right? It's almost like he blocks everything else out and he goes through the motion, he kicks the ball and it goes to the upright. The punter goes to the emotions, punts the ball, hopefully as far as he can. The long snapper doesn't matter who's kicking the ball, just snaps it the same way. Is that how it works? Or is there something to be said about continuity and familiarity between those three guys, the trio of special teamers of, of long snapper, punter, and kicker? 
Yeah, absolutely. So to a certain extent, the kicker does his thing and just trust that everything is there, but that's the word trust, right? If you don't have that gel factor, that camaraderie and that, that uh, amount of reps working together to know that the, the system is fully operational and efficient, you, you might not be able to just lock in and, and block out all those other things. You might subconsciously be like worrying and like crossing your fingers. Oh shoot. Is the, the lace is going to be to the right or to the left, or am I going to get the laces, meaning the, the laces where I make contact with the ball. And just for, for listeners that might not know, you either want the laces pointed towards the target of where you're aiming or second worst would be the laces right the opposite, you know, right perpendicular at you. But if you have laces left or laces right, just the way that the football is weighted and the, and the travel of it, the trajectory and the flight path, if it's tilted a little left as a right-footed kicker like Jason, you know, all things considered, say no wind and stuff, the ball is naturally going to want to pull a little left. So if you ever watch a game and you see, and Matt Hawk doesn't do this, but, you know, it could happen from time to time. If the laces are left and, and it hooks, it could very well be a, a cause of it, right? Or the ball is tilted too much to the left, it could hook and vice versa. If it's too much to the right or the laces are spun to the right, the, the kicker is going to catch the ball a little bit lower on his foot. And it could almost be like a high push just like in golf where you sort of leave your club face open or you don't complete the follow-through as a righty the ball is going to flare off to the right but yeah just uh, I'm getting a little off path there on it but just trying to give some insight for for kickers for the you know the noobs or the people that might not know about the the intricacies but yeah to answer your question um continuity uh flow trust and gel factor i guess is an easy way to sum it up is of the utmost import importance and i think with blake he He's obviously getting the job done. Jason has now what going into four years with Matt and, and I know Matt's contracts come and come and do. I, I hope that they would re-sign him. He had, he had a pretty good year, you know, maybe not in the top 10 or whatever, but, you know, having that value with Jason and Matt and Blake syncing up is indispensable. So if they brought in a new punter, if something happened with Blake and he got hurt, it, it could be very well detrimental to the, to the operation and it could you know, cause uh, negative effects to the to the end result with reliable PATs and field goals from Jason. But yeah, it's so in summary, it is to a certain extent, it's the kicker blocking out, finding his, you know, zone and, and uh, using psychological techniques of imagery, visualization, lining up the kick, seeing the ball go through before you kick it, and then just simply breathing and trusting. But you can't really, you could only trust to a certain extent as much as the the holder and the snapper doing their job. So yeah, it's very important to have all three on the same page. So I've never, I've never thought about kick like the placement of the laces like that before. That was, that was such an interesting, like when you started comparing it to golf, it made so much sense to me uh, how, how the placement of those laces can affect a shot. And I never thought about that before. So thank you for kind of like, you know, give you, you finally made, you know, that, uh, what was it? Ace Ventura movie where it's always yeah. Ray Finkel's always laces screaming, out. Laces yeah. out, right? <laughs> now, now I get it. Like, now I really get it. And I appreciate that. Um, yeah. but, but that makes me think like how many, so, okay. So I guess this is like a two part question. So if you're, if you're kicking, is it possible for you to notice that the laces are not placed in, in an appropriate spot mm -hmm. for you to have a good kick before you kick it? And if so, can you adjust and then yeah. how many, and then how many kicks do you think are missed that are blamed on the kicker, but are actually just, you know, more the punter's fault for not holding the ball. Right. 
Yeah, that's a, you guys got some awesome questions. I don't know why you're not uh, broadcasting for like ESPN or or, uh, or CF CFL on uh, CBS or something like that. Maybe you will one day. But um, yeah, so so what happens is with an NFL kicker and a, and a D1 college, there's a there's a snap to kick operation time. What that means is from the moment the ball starts firing off of Blake's fingertips to the the foot of Jason making contact foot to ball contact that amount of time is so little it's about 1.25 seconds right so one one thousand boom that's about it right so when you think about that it's pretty mind-blowing so when does the kicker start his steps well usually right as as that ball is being released from Blake's fingertips Jason will probably start and he'll take a little jab step, we call it, with his left foot and a medium approach step with his right foot and then a final drive step or that last plant foot step before he kicks it. So typically, and each kicker is slightly different, but for the most part at the NFL level, right as Jason is pushing off of his second step into midair going into the plant, he will see at that point the final setup of the ball. So if he's seeing right before he pushes off to take that plant step, he might have a, you know, maybe a 15th or 20th of a second to make a, it's just like a a 95 mile an hour fastball. You barely have enough time, but the best, best, best home run hitters could see the, they say they could see the laces right before it hits the bat, which is insane. I can't even fathom that, but Jason should be able to see, just before because he's not swinging blindly anticipating and hoping the ball is there there is some you have to visually see it or else you don't know where where to plant and swing but what should happen is if the ball is there everything he knows his steps and he's done it thousands of times but let's say that the ball placement not to tilt not the laces is slightly let's call it two inches close to matt Matt's waist or whatever right so two inches too far if Jason was to do everything exactly the same and he's trying to hit this hard bone on his on his kicking foot his right foot what's going to happen you you could you could answer it for yourself is that it's going to catch too low on the toe so what what do you what do you think that the kicker might do right as he's about to plant it's supposed to be where it is but he sees it's two inches right what do you think just common sense I'll ask you guys I don't don't even know it yeah, I don't even know. Something Honestly, simple. It would be what you would, would think. What do you I'm think? assuming he'll adjust. And, and Right, that would be my thought. He would move that plant about right. two inches further right, and it's as simple right. as that. But doing it when all this is happening, happening, it's very difficult. When there are 280-pound men gunning as yeah. fast as they can <laughs> yeah, for, for you. <laughs> exactly. So, and then another, and it, it's even harder, actually, you would call it getting jammed up if the ball is now too far left as a right-footed kicker. So if he did everything the same, he's either going to have to bend yeah. his kicking leg to still make that, that good foot-to-ball contact, but if he didn't move his plant foot more left in this scenario – now you'll you'll get good foot to ball contact but there's two things that have to happen when you strike a ball to have your optimal distance and and consistency one is hitting it on the sweet spot of the foot to the sweet spot of the ball so that could be achieved by bending your leg or moving closer or whatever but what could happen is because of this bent leg it would be like a tennis player swinging with their elbow forward instead of turning and moving their hands over the top and like, you know, achieving that lock at contact to get that maximum velocity. So you might lose distance by that slight adjustment at the last, you know, 
15th to 20th of a second I was talking about, but you could still muscle through an extra point. So yeah, in, in summary, again, you should be able to see the ball set up just a, I'd say less than a quarter of a second before it's there. So it's all happened lightning time. And it just goes back again to trusting the holder and hoping, but for a kick inside 30 yards, meaning from the 20 yard line, now the, the, you know, the PATs are further back than that, but even if the ball's a little cockeyed from that distance, you should be able to put it through. But if it's on a hash mark that close, it, it almost creates a skinny goalpost effect where, you know, the, because it's like, it, it looks it's a little bit more narrow of an approach because you're not straight down the middle so yeah there, there's just so many things people all the armchair quarterbacks they're like oh that dang kicker cost us a game again but yeah you're right it might it could be the hold it could be the snap but it's that concept of the quarterback taking ownership of the team as a whole or the coach you know it's my fault I didn't coach him up and any good kicker isn't going to ever put the blame so whether it's the kicker's fault or not it's basically always the kicker's fault <laughs> so so, Brent, I think you need to go on a national speaking tour, man, because you are providing the greatest defense for kickers I have ever heard. Because so, like what you just said there at the end, there are so many people that watch football games, and if the kicker misses, it's all the kicker's fault. Nothing, nobody yeah. else gets any blame for it. Yeah. But the comparisons that you, because so many people, you know, they understand how, uh, how fast you have to be able to think in order to hit a home run or the perfect placement of a golf club or the perfect placement of a tennis racket. People understand that. I don't think enough fans because they're focusing on so many different things, recognize just how perfect things need to be in order for a kick to go, to go the right way. And I think the comparison in the field, I mean, there's only one comparison that you just made to baseball. It blew my mind because it's the exact same thing. It's the Mm -hmm. exact same thing. You've got, uh, like you said, a second and a half to figure everything out. And if you don't, then you miss a kick and then you, you're blamed and then you're, you're getting cut. That's absolutely why I'm blown away by those comparisons because every, like it's putting, it's shedding so much light onto just what this, what this aspect, this unknown aspect of this very important facet of a football game is. And I think absolutely. It really helps people understand uh, for some who don't know that Brent, it's so cool that you're making these comparisons to golf, baseball, tennis, right? All these sports where it's it's between the pitcher and the batter, right? It's between the golfer and the ball. It's between the one tennis player and another on a football field. Like you said, Nick, there's, there's 22 people. There's a lot to pay attention to. And so people don't, I, I think they don't get, you know, have that knowledge or insight, Brent, that you're, that you're, you know, you're providing here with, with what it really takes, all those little minute details of the kicker that just everyone, everyone kind of overlooks. So interesting. Mm-hmm. And- and Justin, you, you brought it up too. Uh, you know, when you've got a 320 pound human being trying to wreck your day at the same time, like <laughs> baseball players don't have that, right? You might have the ball coming at you and you might have to duck out of the way if it's thrown badly, but there's a guy on the other side of the field that wants to wreck, wreck your day. Yeah. And that, that's an aspect of it that I think no other sport can even come close to experiencing. Right. So it's just, you know, when you really break down the, these, these uh, aspects of kicking like this, it's, it just makes you realize that what these guys are doing is really friggin' hard. And that's why it's worth that that money, right? Exactly. I was just going to say that it's worth the money. So they need to stop penny pension and start, you know, show me the money. (laughs) So and who knows, maybe someone, one of the coaches will hear this. Yeah. Dang. You know, I got an epiphany that that guy is right. Maybe Jerry Jones, 
hears this, the big, you know, big tycoon for the Cowboys is like, let's start paying these boys $8 million a, a, a year instead of four. We want, we don't want to keep having kicker woes where every two years we got to get some other guy. It just doesn't make sense. If you have as sure of a thing as you can, why do you want to jeopardize that? And have, it's just one less variable you know with the whole system of the team if you got a guy like you said that you get in for 40 you know 47 yarder or in you know meaning get to the 30 yard line or better and you you could say nine and a half out of ten times he's going to make this field goal for us that's that's worth you know seven eight million dollars instead of just trying to cut corners and pay him one or two million you know take figure a way to make it work if Jerry Jones is hearing this, we're doing something really right. So let's yeah. let's 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 make that happen. <laughs> yeah, right. So Brent, you know, a lot of us get to see what these guys are like on the field, maybe even a little bit in the locker room, right behind the scenes. But a lot of fans, and you know, even us as as uh, as people in the media, don't really know what a lot of these players are like off the field. So you you know, you mentioned that Jason is often a five out of ten, never too high, never too low when he's kicking. Is he the same way? What is he like as a person off the field? I know you mentioned he comes to some of your camps as well to, to, to mentor other kickers, which is awesome. Can you give us a bit of insight about him as a person? Yeah, he, he's pretty much the same, same dude, whether it's, you know, out, I guess, yeah, I don't, I don't drink, but I presume if he's out at a bar having a beer, he, he's pretty laid back. You know, I went out to eat with him. We had sushi a couple of times when we we're out training here as well as in Davie and like, he's just, he's the same dude, no matter what. So like, he likes to go fishing. I know that's one of his hobbies. So we talk about that. We, we try to go out. I have like a stand up paddleboard, but I, I rig it where you put like a home Depot bucket on the top and you cruise around like a kayak. So I took him out here in Texas. That was a fun thing to do, but yeah, he'll catch a, a big bass. But Hey, look at this. I, I just caught this one. I'd be like, dang, I just caught this big one. And he's like, so so mellow it's sort of funny but yeah like you know I just think that's what makes him a good kicker is personality you know and that's not to say you can't be a good kicker if you get excited and, and show more emotion but that's just how he is he's pretty laid laid back it could be that you know partly that southern california culture i think so okay brent we we'll, we'll let you go we got one more question though for you so what we do here on pick up the blitz is at the end of every show Justin and I alternate between asking each other wild card questions, totally random questions that come out of nowhere, have nothing to do with anything that we've been talking about. So I got one for you. If you're, if you're up for that. All right. I'm a little nervous now. Let's, let's <laughs> no, it's, it's, <laughs> okay. It's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit easier. It's just going to make you think for a second. Would you okay. rather, would you rather look like a potato or feel like a potato? <laughs> Jeez, uh, I guess feel like a cooked one if it's soft inside to be to be caring and loving or something. If it's a, if it's a hard potato, I don't know. There, there's not too much value with that, really. Well, we're yeah. gonna say to make it standard, we'll make it uncooked potato. Just a potato you find in your grocery store. You want to look like it or feel like that? No, but see, Nick, wait. I see. This is interesting, Brent. Nick asked this question a couple of weeks ago, which was one of our best ever. We got a great reaction to it, which is why you know he was excited to ask it. You took a train of thought that neither of us took, Nick. We neither you nor I went there. So True. credit for that. Credit for that. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, that's a pretty. That's a bizarre question. Is that some new thing that they got on the the SATs or something or Mensa test or something? It sounds pretty, pretty wild. <laughs> 
it's just some, it's just one of those things to just make you think, man. Cause I don't think any, at any point in your life, you'll ever consider whether you would rather feel or look like a potato. It is. Yeah. I guess probably feel. See, that's yeah, what I we do we here. Both, on, we both uh, took feel as well. That's what we do here on Pick and Blitz. We make you think. Yeah. We want to make you think about the things that you never otherwise would have thought about here You're at the end of our pretty hard, pretty hard drawing the ladies in as a single man. If you look like one, I guess that was the first thing I thought of. <laughs> that is, yeah. That but is once, a, once you get deeper into those point. into those conversations, you don't, might not want to feel like one either. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> also very true. <laughs> anyway, Brent, thank you so much for jumping on the show here. That's very much yeah, appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Thank you.